Can I help you? Hi. We're looking for a clock. It belonged to my grandfather. Uh, the uh, auction website, it listed this address. Auction websites don't do that. <sighs> Fine. We bribed the webmaster. The clock's got a lot of sentimental value, so... Sorry. There's no clock here. The clock was an unremarkable thing on its surface. To keep his mind off the troubles of war and family, Martin set out to repair its inner workings. And in place of a mechanical heart, he found a new world. It's my favorite chapter in the book. Welcome to Physical Kids Weekly, episode 212, Ramifications. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And it's just the two of us today to talk about the second-to-last episode of The Magician Season 2. But before we begin, I want to make a few quick announcements. Next week, we'll be joined by Lev Grossman, author of The Magician's Novel, who will uh, join us to talk about the finale. And after that, the TV show goes into hiatus. We're going to take a one-week break after the finale to catch our breath, but after that, we're going to go back um, to finish the podcast for the episodes in season one. We already have a couple guests lined up for that, including Henry Myers, who's the show's executive producer and who wrote some of my personal favorite episodes, including the episode where Alice becomes a Niffin in this season. So stay tuned. Now, on to the episode. Um, I want to start with our regular question. So, Danny, what did you think of this episode? Uh, I really liked it. I thought it was probably one of my favorite episodes of the season, but yeah. penultimate episodes are usually pretty good. They usually are, and this one is no exception. Um, what were your favorite parts of it? I loved Quentin in this episode because he kind of finally starts to like stand up for himself and, and just start yelling at people. <laughs> yeah, after, after being so like emotionally like sad and withdrawn all season, he finally was just like. No, like fuck you to like everyone. Yeah, it's kind of like he starts to realize he has a he has a choice, right? Like he doesn't just have to accept the things that are happening to him. Yeah, um, I really liked that too. I loved this episode. Um, the second I saw it, I was just like, oh, I need to watch this immediately again. Um, and yeah. I think th- there's so many things that I really really like about it, and so many things that are drawn from the books, even though they're done differently. Um, I love the way that they brought Alice back. Um, I have been waffling all season because I feel like she hasn't been gone long enough to give Quentin time to grow. Um, But I think the way that they've brought her back is like really does resonate with how she's brought back in the book in that she's angry and she's not fully human and, and everything else. And I thought the scene where they brought her back was really, really fascinating too. What about you? I like that scene. The only thing that bugs me a little bit is that Quentin didn't really like do it himself by himself completely. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I do like though, I think if they were going to have him do it with somebody else, I liked the, I liked that the people he was doing it with were Mayakovsky and Julia and especially yeah. the, especially the Julia. Part. Well, I, both of it, right? Like in the books, Mayakovsky is this weird sort of like defective father figure for Quentin. Um, and it's kind of nice to see him take that role again. And also, like, Quentin had to yell at him to do it. Also, I just love that we got to see Mayakovsky do that, like, little death rattle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cracked me up Mayakovsky is, like, he's always such an interesting character because he, like, at the end of the day, it's like, 
yeah, he's, like, putting on this front that he doesn't give a shit, but, like, it's so clear that he gives a shit. Yeah. Like, so much. Especially he when he's talking shits. to Alice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think I really like that. Um, I think I really like that, too. I, I've always loved the way that he interacts with Alice, and in this episode, you know, he just, he wants to take care of her, and he's still doing it in exactly the same way that you're always talking about, like, in this kind of, like, gruff he has an attitude about it, but it's still clear that he he really has a lot of respect for her. So I liked that too. I also thought they were going to take away the line of um, Quentin saying, like, it's better world with Alice in it. But then he says it at the end of the episode and I was like, thank God. <laughs> yeah, it was I, I, I feel like I was crying immediately. I mean, that they bring Alice back six minutes into the episode and I'm like riding the bus watching this episode. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different storylines. In addition to Al- the Alice storyline, um, I really love um, Elliot and Q looking for a way back to Fillory together, especially because I feel like we haven't we haven't gotten, like, the quality Quelliot time that we've needed in this season. No, not at all. Yeah, because Elliot Elliot's attention has been split in so many other places. Uh, so it was really nice to see them back together. Um, and then, yeah, Penny and Meadow. Oh, oh yeah, go ahead. Meadow? <laughs> you mean Sylvia? <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> he keeps calling her Meadow. What were you going to say, though? Um, I love that, like, Elliot has a moment, though, like, in the episode, and he's talking about Fillory, and then he calls Fillory home. Yeah. Y- you know that in general, I mean, I think everybody who listens to this knows that I struggle sometimes with the ensemble episodes. There have been a lot of ensemble episodes this season, but this was a really, really strong one. Every story felt like it was going somewhere, and it really made sense, and was tied to the the sort of deep themes that we've been seeing all season. So I was really into it. Yeah. This whole season has been just ensemble, like, yeah. the whole time. Like, I don't <laughs> think we've had an episode that wasn't an ensemble episode. It's been like all. a Greek tragedy. <laughs> it's just hard because, like, you have, like, Earth and Fillory, and they're two very separate places now. So no matter what, like, some of them are always going to be on Fillory. Yeah, that's in true. right now, so that's that's the yeah. problem, I think. So they can't really not make it an ensemble episode. Yeah. So that that actually brings us to the the one Fillory plotline in this episode, or the one like Fillory plotline in Fillory, which is Josh as a the High King. <laughs> I was oh my, I like loved it, but then I was shaking my head like the whole fucking time. <laughs> oh, why is that? <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I, I just couldn't believe the scene that they had thrown on TV. I was just like, <laughs> I almost was like, am I high watching this? It was a little over the top. It's true. I actually, um, Linear, my, my husband and I um, were looking, uh, we were just sort of like surfing IMDb while we were rewatching the episode, and we found a couple of fun facts. So Trevor Einhorn, um, who plays Josh, which... Thanks everyone for telling me that last episode. Uh, he was uh, on Frasier. Do you know? You remember the like stupid '90s TV show about um, the therapist yeah. in Seattle? He played Frasier's son, and I feel like that explains so much about like his approach to comedy in this in this show. Um, <laughs> just because it is so like absurdist and over the top, and like the the weirder things get, I feel like the more comfortable he is. <laughs> I definitely feel like he has to have some sort of background in improv. 
Oh yeah, we should. I should look that up too. Um, the other thing that we found out was that both he and Olivia were on the new episodes of Arrested Development that were on Netflix. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so they were on those together, um, and uh, I didn't know that about Olivia. Like I thought Olivia was pretty much entirely horror movies before then. Before this, Olivia also was on the Mindy Project for like one episode. Right. Right. And I, I think it was two episodes because we saw that too. And I, I vaguely remember her on the Mindy Project, but I need to go back and watch those episodes again. Yeah. But yeah, sort of. That, that was sort of a fun thing that we noticed. I've seen two. I've seen two people from the Magicians now on um, iZombie because I just started watching it. <laughs> who? So who, who were they? Uh, well, Summer was on it. And right. I right. Actually you sent me that. <laughs> yeah, and I tweeted her about it, and she retweeted it. Um, and then the guy who plays Baylor, Reese Ward, was also in two episodes. Oh, it was cool. very shady. Where's a lot of guy liner. I need to go back and, and finish watching that. We watched, like, the first two seasons, and then, I don't know. In in the way that television happens, it goes on hiatus, and then I watch something else, and then my schedule's full. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I really wanted to talk about. Uh, so, so first um, – there's the part about Josh, like, just what did you think of him as High King? And I think we sort of covered that. The other big one that I wanted to talk about was um, a question that actually was floating around Twitter and I think is is a big and important question. Do you think Julia was right not to kill Renard? I hate this discussion. I'm tired <laughs> of seeing it. I'm, t- I'm tired of the discourse. Like, this is something, like, it's always Julia that, like, tears the fandom apart because of the way that they write her. Always. And it's always because it's people who haven't read the book that see her differently. Well, I think that's why I'm asking is I think it's I think it is a more interesting question in light of this episode uh, because I think this episode handles it differently um, and, and in a way that is sort of closer to the books, even if it's even if like the actual details are are more different and. I think that, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I just think that makes a more interesting question. I actually have the clip, so let me play that really quick, and then um, we can we can get into that debate a little bit. Um, sorry. <laughs> you ignored us, and now you're here? All of a sudden? Why? To ask you to spare his life. I don't understand. Why do you care? He's my son. That is the silence of no one seeing that coming. Did you know what he was doing? Of course he did. He raped me. Your son. I'd be sobbing and telling you every detail. But I lost my shade in the abortion, so you're just going to have to take my word for it. Let me deal with him. Why would I trust you? Come the fuck on, lady. There are consequences to killing a god, Julie. I lost my friends. I lost everything. He turned me into a monster. You're a survivor. So this is the scene that I think really um, just sort of makes explicit what I think is definitely like our side of the argument, like you and me, like when we've talked about this, um, that I think is so important to understanding Julia and is so much clearer in the books. And it, it really is that she she is a survivor, right? Like she's she's gone through a ton. She 
has lost her shade. And one of the other things that I really, really like in this episode is the conversations she has with, with Katie when she comes back to the physical kid's cottage. Katie doesn't want to have anything to do with her, and she's like, hey, look, you know, basically I may, I, I may not be capable of understanding the difference between right and wrong myself right now, but I still want to do the right thing, and I need your help to do that. Yeah. I, I love the Katie and Julia relationship, so this episode stung a bit. In general, because hmm. it, I mean, they end the episode very much not friends. Um, Do you think they're not friends or that they're just, because I, I don't know, I didn't see that way. I mean, I understand, I think Katie is very upset and I think it's understandable why she's upset because she was expecting a certain thing. And also, Katie just went through a very large trauma in uh, in sort of making that happen, but I don't think they're not friends. I think that they will always be friends. I am not sure. I mean, we'll have to see that unfold. Yeah, I don't think they're friends. I don't hmm. think Katie is her friend right now. She's hmm. way too hurt. It's an interesting perspective. But I also think Katie's lightweight in love with Julia, so that probably stung even more. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's totally fair. Um, and I definitely think there's, like, I think there's a lot of closeness to them. I also think Katie's just going through so much, right? I mean, it's not just what's going on with Julia. It's what's going on with Penny, too, right now. That, and she's recovering from drugs. Um, yeah. Still, which is kind of weird. I feel like you would be off of that by now. I don't know. It's only been a couple of months. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like people recover for, for, like, decades, honestly. I mean, I know that they're technically always recovering, but, like, that whole withdrawal thing would be gone. Hmm. You wouldn't be going through withdrawals anymore. Yeah. So I do want to go back to the original question because I think it's a, I think it's an interesting one. Do you think that Julia made the right choice in not killing Renard? Absolutely. I agree with you that she was right to do it. But I don't... The thing is, is her journey, like her journey that we know as book Julia, she can't have that journey if she had killed Renard. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the other thing that I, I like is that, and we've talked about this a lot, right? Like one of the really, probably the best scene you have with Asmo, the the character that Katie is like very loosely based on um, in the books, is when she says she is going off to kill Renard. And I, I think one of the great things about this episode for me is that it, it, it still leaves open the possibility that Katie's going to be one, the one to do it. I mean, maybe that's, nobody will. That's also a possibility. but <laughs> That's been my biggest point. Is, is that that's what they leave the door open for. And it's very clear that they leave the door open for that. Like, there's still a bullet that can kill a god that they have hanging in their back yeah. pocket. That is, I think, one of the most interesting things about this episode to me that I feel like is really easy to lose track of, right? Like, they, they made this god-killing weapon, and they don't use it. And I think that that is, right? I mean, you, you don't do something like that and not have it come back at some other point. So... I'm I'm interested to see how that unfolds. Yeah. But Julia, like, the, it, it also calls back to um, very much a survivor's story. Like, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's not about revenge, like, for most yeah. victims. Um, and it's it wouldn't suddenly make them better to, to kill their abuser. 
No, and isn't there a scene um, earlier in the season somewhere talking about something else, but but talking about revenge still, where they sort of talk about how revenge just makes you feel worse? I'm not sure. Okay. I don't remember that. Maybe but. I'm remembering that incorrectly, but either way, I think that's probably a true thing, right? Like, if you go out to take revenge on somebody, it might feel good for a moment, but in the end, it just sort of, it keeps your trauma there and it adds more to it. Yeah. That and uh, I don't think Julia's relationship with Our Lady Underground would ever recover if she killed his son, so. That's probably true. And I really like, I like the line that's right after the clip I played where Our Lady Underground tells Julia, like, you are still capable of mercy. Don't let him take that away from you. That really resonated with to me with um, the the line that Senator Gaines says earlier um, about, uh, he says to Julia, like, whatever whatever happens, don't let Reynard be right that you're basically, yeah. like, irreparably damaged. I really, really liked that. It was very, I think, it was a nice parallel between those two moments. And I was very sad to lose Senator Gaines. Oh, my God. Me too. And and Christopher Gorham was really incredible in this episode. I thought, uh, you know, he had a lot to do with not – like it's not like he had a lot of lines, but he had a lot to do with the ones he had. Yes. And I thought he did a really fantastic job with it. Yeah. He's he's also an actor that should um, record audiobooks because he's got a beautiful voice. Yeah. We we got some good voices in this cast for sure. We do. <laughs> what did you think about the fact that he uh, that he made Katie do the ritual that he I mean, made Katie kill him? I mean, in a way, he basically committed suicide. Um, yeah. He, I don't think he wanted to go on without his wife and just knowing how horrible his father is, and it sucks because it's just like you know he could have become a really powerful demigod. Yeah. That could have been very useful to them, but he went through so much trauma just in such a brief period that I just, I don't think, I think it was too much. And he also knew that they needed to get rid of Reynard and he was just like, well, this is the simplest solution. Uh, I think it's definitely going to affect Katie for a while. Yeah, I think that's true. I think... I, I mean, I think we're not going to know for a long time how much it's affecting her, too. Um, one of the things that struck me when he was having that conversation with Julia was that I think he thought that he, I think he thought Reynard was right about him. I think he thought that he wouldn't be able to come back from it and that if he did go on, like, not only would be he be incredibly sad, but, like, it might fundamentally alter him as a person and make him less inclined to be good. And I kind of wondered if maybe part of why he sacrificed himself in that way was to, to have his, to, to be able to stay good and to have his final act be a good one. That's true. I mean, also it would be really hard for him to continue his political career knowing what he knows and, yeah, well, and, and yeah, and I guess from a practical perspective, right? Like the spouse is always the first person they look at when uh, when there's a murder, and that certainly wouldn't be a good. <laughs> that there would certainly be a scandal there. I'm really curious. Like, is like, is the magical world just going to cover everything up? Like, what happened to Senator Gaines? Like, is, is it just going to erase everyone's memory? Just I don't know. Maybe we'll bit? find out in season three. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Dangling plot lines. Um, yeah. 
Okay, so there are some other plots I want to talk about. Um, oh, but I also want, yeah. before we move on from that, it's interesting that they, I mean, we kind of briefly talked about it's interesting that Persephone ended up being our leading underground. Yeah. So does that mean like Reynard's dad is Hades? I was <laughs> wondering the same thing. Uh, I, I haven't, I don't know. I keep thinking about looking up more about like Persephone and Hades. Like I don't remember the details as much as I should, but it makes sense that those two people would, or gods would create a trickster God. Oh yeah, for um, sure. And man, it's just like, it brings so much. And it also something that pissed me off was people's reaction was that Julia should kill Persephone. I was just like, I'm yeah. pretty sure killing Persephone would be worse. Yeah. That would have some, killing. that would be pretty bad. That would be pretty, pretty bad consequences. Also, people clearly don't understand the goddess that is Persephone. Uh, she's very much a victim in the way that Julia is. I don't know as much about the history as, as I should. What, uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, Persephone was like kidnapped and raped and, and forced to live in hell. Yeah. Um, of course, like, the magician's Our Lady Underground is not exactly a Persephone. Yeah. But, like, that's still, like, a visual. Like, that's something that's very much Persephone is that she was held against her will and raped by Hades constantly. Yeah, it's a pretty awful life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Also. So maybe maybe some magician's fans should uh, brush up on their Greek mythology. <laughs> Yeah, we can. Well, we'll try to keep helping you with that, since it sounds like uh, Danny Danny knows a fair bit about that. I, I know a little bit, but we should probably have Cat on here. We, we really want to school some people. We should. We should actually. <laughs> we should do like a maybe during the hiatus, we'll do an episode that's just like all of the all of the Greek mythology threads in season two of The Magicians or something like that. That would be fun. Yeah. Um, okay, so there were a couple other plot lines I wanted to mention. Right, so the one that I, I don't want to forget is uh, Penny and Sylvia and the Poison Room. Um, and there's a bunch of things that I thought were just really fun about that. Like, I love that she just, like, got bored and read Kanye's book. Um. <laughs> I I don't care what the magician says. I still hate Kanye, but it was really <laughs> funny to hear. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. It was, it was though, it was just such a great line. I, I really like the, like, oh, he's really misunderstood. <laughs> I bet you could say that about anybody whose book you read, but, um, yeah. And one of the things that really struck me about the poison room, it reminded me a lot of a scene in the books. So there is a scene in the books where, um, there's sort of all sorts of shit going down in the Netherlands. And, um, there are, there's like snow falling and, and pages of books from the library falling from the air. And the poison room kind of reminded me of that. Um, yeah. In a way I really like. Speaking of which, I'm curious if we're going to get that, like, a visual like that next season of the Netherlands. Yeah, I hope so. Well, yeah. <laughs> the nose touch. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought it was a really interesting way to go. Um, and in the books, Penny isn't really involved with the library until... I don't know if I could say it's a lot later, but right, like he's not involved with the library and also talking to um, the physical the kids. Yeah, yeah, to the group yeah. at the same time. So it's interesting to see him going back and forth. Um, 
and again, like thinking about Katie, right? Like it, it, she's, she's having so much stuff thrown at her in the season. Um, and the sort of constant shifting of, uh, like being able to see Penny and not being able to see Penny and like having control over her life and not having control over her life. I feel like it's a really hard thing to, to get involved with. But one other thing that I noticed, um, so there was on the, on the website, on the um, Fillory website that they made for this season, one of the yeah. tasks they had was this like circular rune translation thing, um, which I think was based on the fountain. Um, but that like set of circular runes, maybe not the exact same one, but there is another like circular rune thing that appears in this episode in Umber's house on the wall above his TV when he's like watching Law and Order. Did you see that? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't notice it the first time I watched it, but I did notice it the second. Um, and I think there's even one other place in this episode, though I, I couldn't find it again when I was when I was looking. Um, I think there's even like a third place where we see that same pattern. And I'm very curious about that. I feel like it's going to come up. And, um, you know, spoilers. I remember the circular, the circular ruin also is what... Um, the wellspring is underneath a circular. Yes, ruin. yes. So there's a lot of like these. There's a lot of these popping up, um, and I, I wanted to start thinking about them. I was I, in my head, like, was starting to count them, and trying to figure out how many there are. I feel like that has to come back. It's going to. I feel like that's got to be a thing that exists. Like maybe it's just world building and like part of the general mystique of, of Fillory. Because it's all involved yeah. with Fillory or the Netherlands in some way, but I wonder if maybe there's something something else going on. And I think you can probably guess what I'm thinking of, but I'll uh, avoid saying it for spoiler reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, did you have any other thoughts about Penny's plotline in this episode? Okay, Penny's was sad. Yeah. I mean, he goes. He's been doing so much to get this book for Katie. And then just Sylvia, she was sad losing her. We only I know. had her two episodes. She Did I mention sad. it? I think I mentioned it last time, but I can't remember that um, she reminds me of Asmo from the books. Yeah. Um, you said that. Yeah. So, I don't know. It made me really sad to see her go. <laughs> I really liked that character. Though, I do kind of wonder. Okay, so I'm pretty sure she died. But we didn't actually see her actually die, so I don't know. Maybe maybe she'll come back. I, I'm going to hold out hope. <laughs> I would love to hold out hope, but she does say, like, basically that her book ends that way. She does, but she lies a lot. In the, like, two episodes we've had her, she has lied a lot. So I don't know. I'm going to hold out hope, even though it's probably in vain. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you could. <laughs> um, the other one that I want to talk about, Elliot and Q. Um, looking for their way back to Fillory. I I really, really loved this, both because just the Qualiat moments and also just I love that moment when Q first first when they like first go to Umber's house. I think they credit him as Nigel, so that must be the the name of the person he's posing as or whatever. Um probably. When they go to his house and Q just like realizes instantly that this is a Fillory nerd. And there was definitely some like I feel like there was there was a little bit of a of like sexual tension between them as they're like nerd offing in the house. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I I could see that. 
I feel like I didn't think about that in the moment, but now that you mention it, like a little bit, especially on Nigel's part. Yeah, well, there's this moment Nigel. when when Quentin is like looking at the at the script of the movie, um, which that is hilarious, and I loved all the the tweets about how they actually. Did you see the tweets where they actually showed parts of the script? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't see was... the tweets, but I saw Maddie post them. Oh, you should go back and look at them because they're pretty funny. It, it's it's pretty. It is exactly as described in the episode. But there's this moment when like Quentin is looking at it, and um, Nigel Umber is behind him, and he just sort of like reaches out a little bit, and I'm like, "What are you doing? What you doing there? <laughs> Creeping on Quentin?" Um, and I just love to uh, Elliot's comment, like when they walk in, he's like, "Oh my God, there's two of you." Yeah, that was a great comment on his end. Yeah. You mentioned earlier really liking um, Elliot's sort of speech where he talks about what Fillory means to him. Yeah, I love that he calls Fillory home um, just because, you know, book Elliot, that, that's very true for him. Yeah. I was thinking about the, the, inter- the first interview we did with Lev and um, – we asked him why there, basically why there wasn't more about Elliot in the books. And one of the things he said was that Elliot just sort of gets where he is too quickly, that Fillory basically makes him come into his, come into his own. And I think we've seen a little bit of that in this season. We've seen him like definitely like growing up and taking responsibility. Um, but I haven't felt like we've seen as much of him really feeling like he belongs there. And I think that's right. Like that's a positive consequence of him having been kicked out as he is starting to realize that, that even though he's been resisting it, this place is, is an integral part of his life. Mm-hmm. What else did you notice about the episode? Margot's not really in this episode, right? Only that one. Only moment. the one. Yeah. Moment when she like yells at Josh through the fairy realm. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I love. There's a lot of little things, like a lot of small moments that call out to the book, like Quentin saying, "Like the world's a better place with you in it." Hmm. Um, them referencing the turtles. That oh yeah, the world is built on. Um, oh god, and I love that like focus groupy thing he does. It's so dorky and funny. Yeah, it was hilarious. The battery of two, they brought up the, they bring up the battery again. And I love that Julian knows what the battery is automatically. Yeah, of course she would. She's Julian. Of course. (laughs) I think that's the weirdest thing for people is just like, I have a lot of people ask me who like haven't had the read the books that they're just like, why is Julia so smart? She didn't go to break bills and like she really wasn't even with the head, which is wrong, which is true in the fucking show. She isn't. Like, she gets kicked out, like, she only has, like, five stars. Yeah, and you don't get to see any of her, you you really still don't get to see any of her early journey where she is obsessing, right? Like, that's all compressed into, like, half an episode for her. Whereas in the books, it's several chapters of her just, like, getting progressively more and more distressed because she realizes that magic is real and she can't figure out how to make it work. Yeah. By the time she actually gets to the safe houses in the books, she is just so, she's become so tough and so stubborn um, that she, honestly, actually, she reminds me a little bit of the way Alice is um, in this episode. Like, Alice returns from being Niffin, and she's just, like, so distraught that she can't, 
um, that she can't do magic and she doesn't remember how to do things and she just wants to know everything. Her just sitting there with all those books, that reminds me of Julia in the books more than anything else. Well, their their journeys are pretty similar in some ways. They parallel each other. Like, Julia finding the the safe houses for the first time is kind of in a way like um, Alice finding break bills. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. They're both sort of shut out of something that they really should be able to be part of. Yeah. And they're making that more explicit. I mean, they're making that connection more explicit here in that both of them are missing their shades and they both get their mm-hmm. shades back in the same episode. And they're both they're both closest to Quentin. Yeah. I'm thinking about what Olivia told us when she was on the show about how she really saw the she really saw there being a, a triangle between Alice and Julia and Quentin. And in the books I didn't see that as much, but in the show it's it's definitely true. There's Well, they're definitely closer in yeah. in the show. Like they definitely made Alice, I mean, uh, Julia and Quentin much closer. Like, they were close in the books, but they fell off for so long. Yeah. And then as soon as they kind of rebuild that connection, Julia is, you know, not Yeah, she's pretty broken. <laughs> she never really meets Alice until much later. And so yeah, it's definitely fair. interesting to see that. And it's not really necessarily a romantic triangle, which is what everyone yeah. assumes when you say the word triangle. I mean, I definitely assumed that's what she meant when she said triangle. Um, and it made me think like, oh, did they write it more romantically at some point? But they make it really, really clear that Julia would give up anything for Quentin to be happy. And yeah. the way that she does it is not in a romantic inclination. It's very much a like, it's like her brother. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, I mean, that, those are my favorite moments in the first season, too. Um, it's that episode, which I think is 210, where they first go to Fillory. That moment when they're like lying under the table and the yeah. table has the map of Fillory on it. It's just such a perfect moment to encapsulate their friendship. That was actually the penultimate episode last season. Oh, it was. So it was 212? Okay. 112. Yeah. Or 112, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. The Julia Quentin like episodes are always my favorite. Yeah, they're pretty great. And this one was a Julia. I mean, I don't know. I guess there was literally a triangle while they're like bringing Alice back. You know, Penny comes back in this episode and he is clearly damaged by the poison room. How much would you kill people on a scale of one to ten if they killed off Penny? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they would. Yeah, they really shouldn't. Arjun, Arjun flirting with people on Twitter is probably like the biggest PR move the show has going for it. Yeah, they don't <laughs> even have to pay him to do it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> just, just he's just naturally that way. <laughs> I don't think they would kill him. If so they either. did, if they did any kind of version of killing him, it would probably not stick. Sort of like Alice. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's everything. All the main things from the episode. Uh, Sorry, Theo, I didn't give you the uh, the Josh High King clip, but in my defense, it was just a song, and then we would have had to pay for that. So, um, fashion. Did you notice anything in particular about this episode? Not really, honestly. There wasn't a whole lot of fashion, except for you know, it was Olivia Taylor Tudley was naked. People <laughs> thought that. I guess that is People a sort of fashion. That. Um. <laughs> 
I only noticed a couple things. Um, so one of the things that I noticed was uh, Elliot when he's kicked out. So I noticed it partly because it's like the first time we've seen Elliot outside of Fillory Garb for a while. Um, I don't think we've seen it since since the the Wallum episodes. Um, yeah. And well, he was. Um, yeah. Well, the Wallum episode, the the heist, and then yeah, the other one. Um, and one of the things that I noticed, and I think this was true in the heist episode too, is he was wearing a full suit instead of like the vest or the sweaters that he was wearing when he was at Breakbills. Um, and in this episode, I noticed it in particular because his suit was kind of drab. It wasn't like the normal dandy, um, like kind of flamboyant, uh, dress that Elliot wears. It was like darker muted colors. Um, and I thought that was interesting and given everything we know about how, how much attention to detail goes into the costuming, I was wondering if that maybe had to do like the full suit instead of the sweaters or the vests might have to do with the fact that he's taking on more responsibility and it's like a more adult look. Yeah. The other thing, and this one Lanier pointed out to me when we were watching it, was um, in the in the scene with Mayakovsky at the beginning, Mayakovsky is wearing this, like, giant necklace, and Julia is wearing her amulet, her, um, her like, god-hiding amulet. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's really interesting that they're both wearing these large necklaces in the same scene, because it sort of draws attention to, to some kind of parallel between them. Um, and I don't really know what that would be, but I'm, I'm trying to puzzle it out. Do you have any thoughts? I mean, I didn't even notice it, so I don't really have any thoughts. Um, <laughs> Are there any parallels you see between Mayakovsky and Julia? Maybe just how isolated and alone they both feel. But other than that, I don't really ever think of them as that similar. Yeah. That's how I felt, too. But I did, I mean, what you said about them being isolated and alone, I kind of wondered if they're, like, if the necklaces maybe have something to do with that, like some burden that they're carrying, but I don't know, maybe that's a little too complete. <laughs> I mean, I do think they put a lot of thought, but I don't think they put that much thought because Julia was been wearing the episode, the, the, the necklace for quite a few episodes now. She has, I think it was just interesting that they're right. They're in the same room. They're in the same scene together and they're both playing a role in bringing back Alice I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious if there's some kind of connection we're going to start seeing between them. The other thing that I want to talk about isn't in this episode, but something that you and I have been talking about this past week a lot. Um, One of the things I've been noticing this entire season, and I mean, I've noticed it the whole time. It's sort of that I, it's actually sort of me noticing that I don't notice something. I'm noticing that I never really notice Quentin's clothes. Um, And that's interesting to me because when I start paying attention to them, what I see is how how bland they are, right? They're I don't really think they're that bland. Really? He's not high fashion, no, but he definitely doesn't dress like a dirtbag or like someone who doesn't try. Well, that's he, not what I mean. He still shops like clearly at places like Urban Outfitters. Like that's the kind of clothes they have there. Well, that's totally fair, but I guess what I mean is there's no – there's nothing that stands out about what he wears. Um, and the reason that that's interesting to me is, is, is because of what we know about his character, and especially, especially if you've read the books, that a lot of the point of Quentin is that he's interesting, but he's not really special. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I've been thinking about all the conversations we've had with people, with um, Hale and with Olivia and with Jade about the role and, and with, um, and with Arjun about the role that, um, and, and actually Brittany too, right? Like about the role that fashion plays in externalizing things about their characters um, that we might not otherwise see. And, you know, Quentin still is at the center of most of the episodes. You know, we still are seeing it from his point of view. It's, I thought it was a really interesting way to to show that off, to show off that he's maybe not the most notable outside of what's going on around him and outside of the people around him. Yeah. Well, I mean, with guys, you have two options. You're either high fashion or you're not fashion or you don't <laughs> care that much. And then you have the people who are kind of in between that like kind of care how they dress, but not enough to really like wear designer brands. I wonder though, I mean, do you think, cause I think Penny, the way Penny dresses is, is noticeable if only because he's showing his chest half the time, but like, but I don't he's really think also of that very bohemian. Yeah. That's still pretty fashionable depending on where you are at. Like in, LA that would probably be considered pretty fashionable yeah I guess what I'm just saying is I think there are personalities that come out of the fashion of most of the people in the episode and the personality that comes out of what Quentin wears just Quentin Quentin dresses like a hipster like I know (laughs) very, very many hipster guys that dress that way it's very understated but it's still like fashion like he doesn't wear anything like just like a plain t-shirt and like jeans that don't fit him. Like (laughs) his jeans are still very fitted to him. His shoes are still nice. Like he wears sweaters most of the time. He's just wearing a lot of dark colors, but like last season he wasn't wearing as many dark colors. Maybe because he was still moderately happy for part of it. (laughs) Yeah. But like he wore a lot of like flannels and like just normal yeah. Like colored clothing and this season he's just like, no, nah, I just feel like wearing a black shirt or wearing a black sweater and black jeans and black everything. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's all I had on fashion. And I think you said you didn't really notice that much, right? No. I mean, <laughs> Julia looked amazing. She always does. <laughs> she does. Actually, I did notice, I, I mean, I couldn't describe for you exactly what she was wearing, but I did notice that she looked really good, especially in that, um, in the first scene where they're bringing Alice back. Yeah. Um, also, though, the scene where her shade comes back. Oh, at the very end. Um, at the very end, sh- her shade is wearing something that's very similar to what she wore in the very first episode of the show. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love those interactions between Julia and her shade. I'm sorry. that. I think uh, it's. Yeah. I, I think it's weird. Like, I actually don't like the fact that she has her shade back. Well, we can talk about that next episode. <laughs> Well, I just mean, like, in the fact that Julia never gets her shade back in the books, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it'll be interesting. I'm curious where that's going to go. So, shall we talk about MVP? Yeah. You want to go first? Mine's Josh. <laughs> Trevor <Char>. Reinhorn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, he's tell just, us why. <laughs> he's just so ridiculous, and, like, and I think I can honestly say that 
the his montage, his High King montage, is one of the greatest TV montages of all time. I was just <laughs> could not stop laughing. I was literally just like, "Oh my god, is this real?" I really love too that like Pickwick, that uh, Tick Pickwick and uh, Rafe get into it too. They're like, "This is the High King we've been waiting for." <laughs> And Benedict. <laughs> and Benedict. And Benedict. I also love that, like, he takes off his chef's hat, but he's still wearing the same... He's still wearing, like, the chef's coat for the entire time that he's, um, that he's like, hiking of Fillory. <laughs> well, that was really funny. I don't think... I'm pretty sure he knows he won't fit into Elliot's clothes, and they don't really have time to, like, make him an outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's true. At the same time, though, he's like, he makes some pretty good decisions. Like, he even does. though they don't get to... They don't get to be executed considering that, like, Princess just comes in storms and throws a fucking fit. And that, like, very first moment when they're like, oh, there's all these problems. He's, he just, like, takes a beat and then he's like, all right, do this, this, and this, and everything will be solved. And you can tell they're looking at him like, whoa. And it's kind of like that moment in, I don't know if it was the, pa- I don't know if it was 210 or 211, but the episode where um, he, like, reminds Elliot that democracy is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and like yeah. maybe he could do that in Fillory. Um, he he's seems- very he's very smart, um, and it's just funny. Like I don't know, seeing Josh that way, and Josh, you know, does get to be king eventually, and it just reminds me of that. Yeah, it reminded me too of the the conversation between. Well, there's two conversations between Quentin and Josh in the books. There's one um, right before the Welters match, which of course Josh in the in the TV show is not at the Welters match, um, where Josh is like drunk and talking about how everybody underestimates him or everybody uh, like doesn't take him seriously. And then there's the moment in the second book, I think. It's in the second book, I think. Maybe the third. Um, that sort of parallels that where he's like saying the same thing, but he's not bitter about it. And he's like, yeah, everyone just thinks I'm a joke. So you know what? Fuck them. And this kind of reminded me of that version of Josh where he's like, everybody just sort of assumes that I'm just like this drug dealer and, you know, high all the time. But hey, guess what? I'd be a really good ruler. Yeah. Also, his like ridiculousness kind of reminds me of um, like Josh in in Venice. Yeah, yeah. well, that's what I was talking about, the second one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And how he, like, like, I love that part in in the second book where he, like, fucks with Quentin. Yeah, he just, like, goes all Wizard of Oz on him. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it reminds me of something that this Josh would do, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that's why I really liked it, is that, you know, when we've seen Josh before, I haven't quite been able to connect him with the Josh from the books and something about this scene did it for me, which seems weird. Yeah. Right? Like I feel like I feel like a montage of like just smoking a whole bunch of magic weed shouldn't do that for me, but it did. <laughs> yeah, but then at the end of the day, he's still like he very much is just like he's a hero, just like everyone else. Like he's like, you know, like I think he's thinking like he really fucked up leaving before with yeah. Victoria, and. Now he's just like, well, I'm going to go save Fen. Like, he just like, he's like, yeah. deuces. I love that <laughs> moment too. And I love his line. He's like, tick, tell my story. <laughs> Something like that. Peace out. <laughs> so my MVP, I actually had a lot of trouble deciding, which I, maybe everyone is used to at this point. <laughs> Cause I always have trouble deciding. Um, I ended up going, I'm, I'm ending up, I'm going with Jade. Um, and mostly because I think there's a lot of range for Katie in this episode. 
and so much going on. And I think she does a really good job of going between like 20 different emotions. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, as established, I think Jade is a perfect human being. So (laughs) every now and then. Um, But I want to mention what Lanier said, because I was talking to him about this. I was like, ah, I can't decide who should my MVP be. Um, And he said it should be Nico Everswindle who plays Umber. And even though I'm not going with that, I think it, I think I do want to call him out because I think he did a really good job. And the way Umber is written in the show is, is really interesting. I think he makes a cool character sort of like, and especially like a good contrast to Ember. Yeah. So yeah, that's basically it for me. Um, anything else you want to say? Anyone else you want to shout out for this episode? I mean, I think they all did a really good job, but yeah, I just think Trevor was just hilarious and I can't even tell him because he doesn't have a Twitter. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. We'll we'll talk to you know. We'll, I'm sure his cast members will will get him to get one in time for season three. Just gotta get Arjun working on him. <laughs> yeah. Okay, ratings. I'm gonna go first because I haven't gone first in a while. Um, I know already that this is getting me in trouble from from having seen the next episode. I don't care. This is a ten out of ten. It knocked it out of the park for me. One of my favorite episodes from the season. You? I will probably go with the same 10 out of 10, but I love, I always love penultimate episodes. They always like throw so much in and they're just like always make them super crazy. I think what impressed me, you know, we've been hearing for ages that like the last two episodes are so intense. And I think what impressed me about this was it, it actually didn't feel crazy. Like there is a lot in it, but it felt so coherent. It was just a really good balance of really really hilarious and also really dark um, because a lot happens. Like, a lot of sad shit happens in it. Yeah, I think that balance is is exactly it. It felt balanced. Um, and in a lot of the ones where there have been multiple storylines and so much going on, it hasn't always, it hasn't always felt that way. There have been, like, one storyline or another that really takes over. But in this one, I just felt like it all came together and they're all converging. Yeah. So I guess that's it for this week. Anything else you want to say before we move on? I don't think so. I don't think there's any more to say. I think we got it all out. <laughs> I think it's the first episode we've done where we've gotten all of our feelings out. That's that's probably because while. it's been a while since we haven't had a guest. And, you know, interviews do take up a lot of time. <laughs> we do. <laughs> um Speaking of which, again, just want to remind you, Lev Grossman will be joining us for the next episode for the finale. It's going to be crazy. We're really excited, Um, especially now that we know officially that there's going to be a season three. Yay! (laughs) Um, So thank you for for being with us so far this season. Join us next week. Um, And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Bye! Bye! Mind slide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>